to the City on a Hill Church Forest Hills podcast. We exist to see our neighbors from every culture follow Jesus as King. We're glad you're here and thanks for listening. More information about the life and mission of City on a Hill can be found at coahforesthills.org. Well, it's good to be back with you guys. Um, like Stephen said, my name is Tyler. I'm on staff at uh, Coa Brookline as the community groups director. I was here, I think it was last August, um, with you all in the summer. And so uh, good to be back with you guys again and see some, some new faces, see some old faces, some new friends, some old friends. Um, and I think I said this last time uh, I was here too, but just please know that, that we at, at Coa Brookline, we're so thankful for you guys. Uh, we're thankful for you as, as gospel people, a gospel church in this part of the city in Forest Hills. And Jamaica Plain and beyond, and um, I get updates from Pastor Stephen every now and then. We have a, a pastor's meeting each week where I just get to hear what God has been doing through you all. So please know that we're thankful for you. We pray for you guys, um, that God keeps you close and just continues to use you to reach others around the city. So um, as Stephen said earlier, you guys are in the middle of an Advent series where uh, you're looking at the typical themes of Advent, um, hope, joy, peace, and love through the eyes of people in Scripture as they kind of experience them. Um, through the eyes of people in Scripture, when they kind of come into contact with Christ as a baby, or even in Mary's case, before Christ was born, or as a young boy, and just how these, these themes of um, hope, uh, peace, love, and joy kind of manifest themselves through the person of Christ. And so the first week, Stephen preached on hope, and he worked through uh, Zechariah's prophecy uh, about Christ. And then last week, he hit on joy, um, looking at Mary, Mary's Magnificat, um, and how she uh, came into contact with Christ in the womb, and she burst into joy and bursted into praise um, when she thought about uh, the baby Jesus. And both of these are in Luke 1, and this week we're going to be looking at peace in Luke 2. Uh, Luke 2, verses 22 through 38. And I think uh, an interesting question to kind of ponder to think about as we start our time today is, where in your life are you unsettled right now? Right? What's causing anxiety, or where are you uh, kind of uh, not at ease, or where are you scared And really, where are you not at peace? Like, I'm sure that question in your mind immediately went somewhere, right? Maybe some of you, it's work, right? It's the holiday season. You don't want to be working a ton. You want to take some time to relax, but your boss or whoever is putting uh, demanding hours on you. I talked to one of your church members right before uh, the service and said he was working 70 hours last week. Right? Maybe your marriage is a little rocky, and it's like every night you get home, you just want some peace, and you just, just kind of bicker every night over any little thing. Right? Maybe you're a student, and you didn't finish the fall semester well. Uh, you bombed your finals. You failed a class, and you're just kind of grappling with, like, what, what do I do now? What's next? Or maybe with a holiday coming up, you're going to spend time with family that maybe you don't get along the best with or have a rough past, and that causes some anxiety as, as the day draws closer and closer that you're going to go have to spend a week with them. Maybe it's a little deeper than that. Maybe it's a little more spiritual. Maybe it's you can't forgive yourself for something you did 5, 10, 20, 30 years ago. Maybe just in some way, shape, or form, you just don't quite feel right with God, or you just don't quite feel right, or you feel out of place just in general. So with that in mind, whatever, whatever your answer is, wherever you don't feel at peace right now, just think what would fix that? What would bring you peace? And using the examples I kind of went through, most of our answers would be a change in circumstance, right? 
changing jobs, a new boss, a family member that was just a little more emotionally or socially aware, right? Or maybe you just kind of hope you could wish you could go back 10, 20 years and not do that thing or say that thing or just one extra night to study. You think if those things were in place, I'd have peace. I could exhale. My soul would, as the song we sang, my soul would be settled if I had those things. What's interesting is our passage today offers us a far better way of peace than you or I could fathom. Simeon and Anna in our story, they're not too different from us, even though thousands and thousands of years ago this was written. Right? They were real people. They had real lives. They existed in a real place at a real time. No doubt they too had circumstances where they were unsettled. They didn't feel at ease or at peace. And scripture doesn't, our passage doesn't tell us a ton about them, but it does tell us some. Right, so Simeon was, was old in age, and the way that the passage reads, it almost sounds like he's waiting to die. It almost sounds like he wants to die. He's longing to die. And it sounds kind of morbid, but if you've ever kind of been in the room with a really old saint who's kind of on the brink of death, and they have this kind of abnormal peace, and almost like they're eagerly awaiting what's next, you, you kind of understand what I mean by that, or maybe what Simeon is kind of feeling. Anna's also very old, old in age, too. Right? It says she was advanced in years. Not only that, but she was a widow. Right? The passage seems to imply that she'd been a widow for 80 years. And we can't go too far beyond the passage, but we could probably safely assume that she's living a lonely life. And what's interesting is that peace doesn't come to these people in the form of a changed circumstance. Anna doesn't all of a sudden find a a husband or a family or um, all of a sudden Simeon doesn't kind of reverse his years and finds just this little uh, flutter of youth. No, what happens? Christ enters into their lives. This young boy walks into the temple and their lives are changed forever. Peace came to Simeon and Anna as a person, not as a changed circumstance. So that's what we're going to talk about today. That's our main point. Pretty simple. Peace comes to us as a person. Peace comes to us as a person, that person being Christ. We'll look at this through the eyes of of Simeon and Anna and their hearts, and then just through our own eyes and our own hearts as well. And two things I want to hit on. Um, Peace comes to us as a person, first, through his presence. And then secondly, peace comes to us as a person through his presence purpose. Before we dive into that, there are, there are two, three verses at the beginning of this passage that are slightly odd. And admittedly, we're going to spend most of our time verses, verses 25 and onward, but um, we won't be taking a deep dive into the first few verses, but just to give us some context, because not that it's not important, but when we're thinking about peace, the rest of the passage is a little more relevant. But in these first few verses... Mary and Joseph are are taking Jesus to the temple to perform um, all the necessary things that the law, that the Old Testament, required them to do when they had a child. And most of these instructions are found in the very vibrant book of Leviticus. And uh, so this this part of the the, the passage shows us just kind of two things that I want to point out, just for us to kind of be oriented with what comes next and what's going on here. 
First, it shows us that Mary and Joseph were really devout Jews. Right? They followed the law. They followed the Old Testament law that God had given. It also shows us that from a young age, Jesus was, was, was really deeply identified with his people. With both what the law told them to do, with what it meant for your parents to bring you and do these things, the traditions, the customs. This is a very devout Jewish family. And second, the second interesting it shows us is that Mary and Joseph were actually likely very poor. Notice verse 24, it says um, that we are to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now we know this means Mary and Joseph were poor because Leviticus actually, when it's spelling out these sacrifices, tells people to, to, to bring a lamb to sacrifice. But then it goes on to say that, that if you can't afford a lamb, then to bring two turtle doves and two pigeons. And so that's exactly what Mary and Joseph are doing. And so I think we can safely assume that they, they were poor. And that may seem un, uh, insignificant, but it actually kind of just points to the unexpected weird ways that God works. Right, we think about Advent, we typically think about these things, hope, joy, peace, love, as we should. But I also think, I don't know if you want to call it a theme, but unexpected really pops up too. The way in which God works in general, but really the way that Christ came to earth, the way that God took on flesh, the incarnation, everything that happened, the way it happened, it's all very unexpected. No one would draw something like this up themselves. You or I wouldn't have thought about a Messiah, the Savior, coming to earth in this fashion. Right? Just kind of imagine the scene. Right? Mary and Joseph enter into the temple. You know, maybe they, I'm not sure, but maybe they had to travel a far away. I'm not sure what time of year it is. Maybe it was hot. So maybe they're sweaty. Maybe they have dirty old tunics on. And at this point, maybe rumors are swir- swirling around about Mary. Right? She had this child before she got married. Was it infidelity? Was it sexual impurity? We, of course, know and believe that's not the case. But I, I imagine rumors are swirling around and the child that they bring in is a result of that. And in their hand, they have these offerings that, that scream to other people, hey, we do not have a lot of means. No one looks at that scene. No one looks at that child that comes in with them and says, this is the one. This is, this is the Messiah. This is the Savior of the world. This is the King of God's people. But somehow, Simeon and Anna knew. Right immediately, when they entered into his presence, Even as a young boy, they knew. Which leads us right into our first point, Jesus' presence. So again, peace comes to us as a person through his presence. And again, Simeon and Anna somehow knew that this young boy was the savior of the world. Right, at least in part. Right, they had, the, the text seems to imply that they had received some sort of revelation, that God revealed something to them. Right, look at verse 26. The Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. Okay, so that makes sense. That's pretty clear. It doesn't tell us how Anna knew, but it tells us she's a prophetess. So, so maybe she received some sort of vision, or maybe God told her in some sort of way. Or maybe she was just in the temple, right place, right time, and she saw Simeon interact with the child and heard what he said. And that's how she knew. But either way, look how they react to Jesus' presence. Right? Simeon burst into praise, and he blessed God. Simeon sees the child, and he exclaims, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. 
Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. Simeon saw Christ, and it brought him peace as he was heading towards death. Anna did the same thing. She gave thanks to God. She blessed God, and then she went and told other people about it, about how this Redeemer, God's redemption, had come forth. For Simeon and Anna, they simply entered into the presence of Christ, and it brought them peace. They simply entered into the presence of this person, and it brought them peace. And and ironically, as I was kind of thinking about this concept, this idea of a a person bringing peace, you know who understands this concept probably more than anyone in this room? Babies. I'm serious. Babies. My wife and I, we we were out of town this week, and we went to a, a, we have an 11-month-old, and um, we took her to a a new place with new people, and um, she was fussy, she was a little sick. And all those things kind of combined together uh, led her to like, really not have the greatest of times, especially at night. Right? She'd wake up, and she'd, she'd just unfamiliar place, and she just wakes up screaming and crying. Right? She's kinda, she, she lost it a bunch throughout the trip. But every time mom got out of bed and picked her up into her arms, she calmed down. It's never dad. It's always mom. She felt peace. The simple presence of her mother brought her peace. Notice her circumstances, the things that upset her, they didn't change. She's still a little sick. She's still in an unfamiliar place. But the presence of something else, the presence of someone else entered in, and she felt peace. And this is what Christ offers us. And this is what Christ brought to Simeon and Anna even just as a little boy, peace. This idea of peace, it's definitely not just contained to our passage. It's all over the New Testament. It's all over the Old Testament too, right? But the New Testament alone, some translations use the word peace over 200 times. I don't know off the top of my head, but that probably makes top 20, top 10 repeated words in the Bible, in the New Testament at least. And the interesting thing is every time it's used is either directly or indirectly related tied to the person of Christ. Just a few to show you. Philippians 4. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. 2 Thessalonians 3. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. And maybe most clearly of all, Jesus is teaching in John 14. Um, Jesus is connecting himself with peace. These are his words. His words. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The New Testament is trying to tell us over and over and over again. This story is showing us that peace is available to us through Christ. That through the arrival and presence of Jesus Christ, we can have peace. And it's interesting, especially in this passage from from John 14, Jesus isn't offering us some version of peace that's like separate from him, right? He doesn't say, here's this thing that gives you peace and then walk away. No, he says, here, here, I am peace for you. He himself is our peace. He says, my peace I give to you. And it's funny to think about this as as I honestly reflect on my own life, that many of us, even the most mature, well-intentioned Christians, we don't experience this. 
right? You read the first half of Jesus' teaching in, in John 14, and peace I'll leave with you, my peace I give to you. Okay, I get that. But you don't quite grasp the second half. Our hearts shouldn't be troubled or afraid. What's the disconnect? Right? Because the passage is connecting the two things. The peace of Christ leads to a heart that isn't troubled and isn't afraid. What's, what's the disconnect? Why, why, aren't, why aren't we as Christians experiencing this? Why aren't we as Christians embodying this? And I think, I don't know your exact circumstance, I, I don't know your heart, but I think for most of us, it's because we don't spend enough time in the presence of Christ. I know this, this isn't a just read your Bible more type of point, but you should, you should do that. But if we believe the Bible to be true, and we believe what it says, we have to grapple with the fact that it states that the presence of Christ brings peace to our hearts, not to our circumstance, but to our hearts. And if that is true, then the only logical conclusion, if we do not feel peace in our hearts, is that we are not in the presence of Christ enough or at all. Christ invites you into his presence. Think about how massive of an invitation that is. The Son of God, God in the flesh, says, come into my presence, be with me. And that sounds nice on, on a theoretical level, but like, what, is that even, what, what does it even look like? You can't, you can't see Jesus. How can you enter into his presence? Well, again, not to put everyone in a box, but I'm going to. Uh, when we think about spending time with God, we think, typically think about two things. Any guesses? Prayer and reading the Bible. Right? Prayer and reading the Bible. And no doubt, these are two of the most important disciplines. Like if you were to ask me, Tyler, what two disciplines should I just do for the rest of my life? It, it might be those two. But I think part of the reason there's a disconnect is because uh, between the presence of Christ and, and peace in our hearts is because we can do those things. We can read our Bible. We can pray, but not really be present with God. Not really experience the presence of Christ, even as we read the pages that contain his very word, even as we read the pages that contain our story as Christians. Side note, you ever thought about that? This is your story. This is your background. This is your family history. But we can be in this, we can read this, and not experience the presence of Christ. How many of you, you read, and then 10 minutes later, have no idea what you read? All right, like, Tyler, what did you read this morning? Oh, uh, you know, Matthew 32, where it talks about Jesus? It's a test. There is no Matthew 32. Just like you can get a coffee or go have dinner with a friend and they're just kind of on their phone the whole time or, or maybe they're really timid, their, their phone lights up and it's just like, okay, hang on, just let me, let me, you know. Like, yeah, you had their time, but you don't have their attention. The great poet Mary Oliver, a very short line, but a very profound one, simply said, attention is the beginning of devotion. Attention is the beginning of devotion. And I think that's true. And so we all so often ask the question, well, have you spent time with, with God today? But really, sometimes that means nothing. I could spend two hours a morning with my Bible open, but be so distracted that I don't give one thought to God. 
right? So often I, I do read my Bible in the morning, and then an hour later, no idea what I read. Or I pray a prayer, no idea what I prayed or asked God for. What we should really ask is, have you given any of your attention to God today? And what does that look like? It can be reading the Bible. It can be praying. But doing so with attentiveness. It can be going on a long, slow walk and just letting whatever comes to your mind turn into praise for God. It could be taking a walk on the esplanade and it's, it's not like today. It's a nice warm day in May and it's beautiful. Or maybe it is like today, but snow just fell. So it's like really pretty and the sun is setting. And you, to your left, you got the, the yellows and the reds and the pinks in the sky. And then to, behind you, you got the skyline. And then you let the first, the other side turn into praise. God, you are so beautiful. Look at this colorful sunset you have painted. And then you look at the skyline and say, God, I praise you that, that you have put wonderful minds in, the, in, the, 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 in, in mankind. You want to experience the peace of God, you have to be in his presence. If you want to be in his presence, you have to give him your attention. So this is what Simeon and Anna show us. Right? This is what Simeon and Anna experienced. They experienced the peace that Christ brings through his presence. But they also experienced peace when they considered his purpose. And his purpose is drenched all over the passage. It's, it's soaked in it. And Simeon's reaction gives us a bit more insight than Anna's. So we're going to focus on his. And we'll focus on two things that Simeon breaks down for us. First one's in verses 29 through 32, and the second one's in 34 through 35. And I'm going to read the 29 through 32 for us one more time. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. Key in on this part. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. I want to zoom in on one thing, one purpose of Christ that Simeon talks about, that he's kind of keying in on. He says it in verse 30, and then he says it again in a couple different times and in a couple different ways. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Notice the timing, too, within this whole passage of when he says that. Right, it's after the little boy walks in. It's after Simeon picks up this little boy and, and praises God. He's looking eye, into the eyes of Jesus Christ and he says this, my eyes have seen your salvation. So Christ came to this earth and his purpose was to bring salvation to us. He's offering you more than a heart that isn't just troubled or afraid. So he is offering that. Maybe this is obvious to you, maybe it's not. But more than that, he's bringing peace between God and man. Eternal peace, spiritual peace, divine peace. Peace that supersedes anything you can fathom because you know at the end of the day, when you stand before God, in Christ, you are accepted and therefore you can have peace. Peace because in Christ you are deemed worthy. Peace because in Christ you are told that you are the object of God's delight. That's peace that settles the soul. Peace because in Christ, your soul finds its worth. 
Peace because in Christ you will stand before God and declared not guilty. Peace because in Christ you can open up the pages of the New Testament, flip to Romans 8 and say, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's the kind of peace he's offering you. In Christ you have peace with God. In Christ you will spend forever with God in his presence and in the presence of God's people. In Christ, you will be safe. This is peace. This is ultimate peace. This is soul-satisfying peace. This is eternal peace that Christ offers us. And I doubt, I doubt Simeon grasped all of this. Maybe he grasped some of it. But he goes on and he gives us greater insight into the destiny of this child in verses 34 and 35. I'm going to read it again. And at this point, um, Simeon, he's speaking directly to Mary, the mother of Jesus. He, He tells her this, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So, we're going to break down. What is, just, what is Simeon saying here? We're, going to, we're just going to go through and talk about it, talk about what it means, talk about what it means for us, and then we're going to close. First, he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. The fall and rising of many in Israel. God humbles the proud and elevates the humble. In other words, Christ and his arrival, it's the arrival of God's upside-down kingdom. We started this by talking about unexpected things in unexpected ways. This is unexpected. The ones you expect to have all the power and authority, God has the ability to strip it away, and he's the one who puts them in place. The ones you don't expect to have power and authority do in Christ. He goes on and he says, this child is appointed for a sign that is opposed one quick glance at the New Testament and the Gospels, you'll see um, a compassionate and merciful man. But you also see one that faces a lot of opposition. Whether it's the Pharisees or other people. My mind goes to Isaiah 53, where um, Isaiah is writing this prophecy about the Christ, and he says he was despised and rejected by men. We see this all over the Gospels. Simeon goes on, again, he's speaking to Mary, and he tells her very directly, he tells her this, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. That's in verse 35. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. He doesn't say this directly, but essentially saying, Mary, you're going to watch your son live his life, as most mothers do. You're going to see the miracles. You're going to hear some of the teachings. You're going to see people flock to him. But you're also going to see your son mocked. You're also going to see people deny your son. You're going to see people make fun of them. And ultimately, you're you're going to see your son die. Your soul will be pierced. The last part of the verse, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What people think about Christ, what you think about Christ, reveals who you really are. 
It does reveal your eternal trajectory, but it also shows what you believe in and what you value and kind of what your worldview is, right? If, if this is true, this Bible is true, then everything hinges on Christ. Your worldview, your trajectory, everything about you and your relationship to God hinges on what you think about Jesus Christ. What do you think about this boy that Simeon and Anna walked, saw walk into the temple? Right, it doesn't just inform your preferences. It doesn't just change your worldview. It doesn't just show us your eternal state. According to the scriptures, it shows us where you stand before God. So as we close, when you look at Jesus... Does your heart explode with peace like Simeon? Or do you pursue and interestingly never attain your own version of peace? Because in this passage, what Christ offers you is far better than the peace that you are pursuing on your own, far better than anything you can imagine. Yes, it's a peaceful heart. Yes, it's a heart that's not troubled and a heart that's not anxious, but it's ultimately a heart that's right before God. A heart that can be in relationship with God in the first place. Somehow Simeon and Anna knew this. And they saw a young boy walk into the temple. I pray we all in this room know this as well.